0: We are turning tonight to John's Gospel, Chapter 3, John's Gospel, Chapter 3. The title of this message tonight is Nicodemus, a man in the dark, a man in the dark. Let's begin reading at verse 1, John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's stop reading there and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us tonight to understand something of the depth of this passage. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today, I had a little girl come to my office, Uh, she was out of the lower grades, and I had no idea what she wanted, but she seemed troubled, and so I invited her to sit down at the conference table there, and I asked her, uh, what's going on? And she looked at me with great big tears in her eyes. And she said, Mr. Creech, I don't think I'm saved. And I want to be saved. And I had the pleasure of sitting there talking to her uh, and showing her from the scriptures what God had to say about that question. And I've thought about a number of things to speak on, and there's just a multitude of things uh, that I would like to speak on, but it seemed like I needed to come back to this passage, and one of the reasons is because it contains so many thoughts that are helpful, especially to people that Do not understand the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus and how simple it is to come to know Him as one's personal Savior. But one of the reasons I mention this little girl is because she came seeking. And uh, that's special. The Lord said, and I think it's Isaiah 55, uh, Seek me while I may be found. There there can be a time when you can seek the Lord and he not be found. And there's a time when you can seek him and he can be found in truth to the saving of the soul. And uh, I was thinking about that little girl as I have been teaching this uh, passage for several days really in chapel Um, and how we've got a man here by the name of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews that did this very thing. He came seeking Christ Jesus because he sensed a problem within himself and so This is what we want to sort of look at tonight as we go down through some thoughts in this amazing chapter. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention to sort of set the stage for uh, what I believe the message is in this chapter is what I would call the problem today, currently speaking, the problem of denominationalism. The problem of denominationalism denominationalism uh, to a great extent is uh, <clears throat> the passing down of religious tradition, religious tradition and uh, just about any church you go to you're going to find a different perspective being presented concerning what this book teaches is your will. You'll run into what we're warned against, and that is private interpretation. Uh, You'll run into the humanistic tendency of Bible pastors and teachers to teach another Jesus and not the Jesus of the Bible. Another gospel, but it's not the gospel of the Bible. And another spirit, but it's not the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so there are seven things I want to mention right quick before we get into this chapter that should be a motivation for getting out of some traditional denominational church where these elements that I'm fixing to mention are not properly and honestly presented. We might call it the whole counsel of God. And the first thing that I would say as a, a reason to get out of a church and leave it and go find the church where the truth is preached. As we find in Isaiah... Uh, Chapter 8 and verse 20. To the law, to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Every person needs to be in a church where the preaching uh, clearly manifests an understanding of that statement. To the law, to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And so if a person finds themselves in a church where I believe uh, the King James translation of the Bible is not being preached from, I think they ought to very seriously consider getting out of it and finding a church where the King James translation of the Bible, we don't have time to get into a message about that subject, but that is a probably a, a long series of messages in and of itself. There's a second reason to leave a church, and it's if the pastor does not preach messages on the false profession of faith, because this is a theme throughout Scripture, the problem of the false profession of faith. That is, a person claiming that they're saved when in reality they're not. They're deceived about it. The Lord warned the disciples when they asked him, what is the sign of thy coming? And the very first thing that he said was, take heed that no man deceives you. Well, I'll tell you who the ultimate person is to fear when it comes to deception. It's It's yourself. It's what a person wants the truth to be, but it's not. And so the false profession of faith is, if it's not preached in a church, you need to get out of it. Because the pastor doesn't understand one of the major themes uh, emphasized by the Lord in his revelation from heaven. Another reason to get out of a church is if they fail to preach the total depravity of a man. We're totally depraved. What does that mean? It means that we cannot do anything to change our condition. Not one thing. I don't care how you apply yourself, how much you study the Bible, how much education you ever get, how many good works you do. There is not one thing that you can do to merit going to heaven. Not one thing. Not even one thing. That's total depravity. Another reason to get out of a church is if they fail to teach the relationship between religion and government. Religion and government. Um, I have learned since coming to this church through many sources that all government is religious in nature. The issue is whose religion is going to have the force of law because even atheism is religion. And Torcaso versus Watkins, the Supreme Court, made that statement in their uh, court opinion that atheism is just as much a religion as the belief that there is a God. And so the issue is Whose religion is going to have the force of law? And so it's very important to be in a church where these things are preached. And the reason is because the whole Bible is about government and religion. The very first thing you learn in Genesis chapter 3 is in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That's government. Government. The Second Amendment is right there, too. The Lord cast Adam and Eve out of the garden and put an angel there with a a flaming sword to keep them from the tree of life. Well, the tree of life is the First Amendment. It has to do with the pillar and ground of truth, which is God himself. And the Lord protected it with a flaming sword. That's the Second Amendment. That's where our Second Amendment came from, right out of the Bible. So it's important to see these things, and it's important to be in a church where these things are taught. The only church mentioned in Scripture that is worth knowing about is The church that's teaching this word. There's no mention of Baptists or Free Will Baptists or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Catholic. There's no mention of any of these things in the Bible. The only word that you ever hear or read in Scripture is the church. In Revelation, uh, you have the letters to the seven churches that were in Asia. And in Revelation 22, uh, John is being inspired by God to encourage the church to read and study what he had written. And so that's very important. Another thing I'd like to say which I learned in this church is that the most important decision you will ever make is where you go to church. Did you know that it's more important than who you marry? I didn't used to understand that but it is. It's more important than anything else. Some people will say well it's Uh, The most important thing is to get saved. Well, the question, the issue there is, where do you go to find out how to truly get saved? Because churches are full of people that believe they're saved. But they're not because they've got a false profession of faith. So where do you get the true profession of faith? Well, it's in the church that teaches the truth about how to be saved. It's the most important thing in the world is the church that you attend in life. That's where you you learn how to genuinely be saved. It's also in the church that you learn who not to marry. So getting married is not the most important decision you'll ever make. It's the church the pillar and ground of truth, so that when you make decisions in life, you make the right one. And so it's in the church that you learn who not to marry and who to consider in marriage. Another reason to leave a church is if they never preach on hell on the lake of fire. I learned in this church that Jesus Christ said more about hell than he did heaven. And it was never spiritualized. It was always presented as literal, a place of literal torment, a place of literal flames, just like the Genesis flood was literal water that covered the earth. And that same water is out there in the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean and the various oceans in the world. That is the same water that once engulfed the entire world. God created these cavities for that water to recess into. And so going down to the coast... And looking out there at all that water, you're looking at the evidence for God's destruction of the world as it's read in the Genesis account. But let's turn our attention to Nicodemus, this man in the dark. And The first thing I want to mention to you is if you would study this, study this subject, here's what you will find you will find that he was what's called a Sanhedrin, a Sanhedrin. A Sanhedrin is a leader in the highest ecclesiastical court. That's what he is. If you look it up and study it, that's what you will find. Nicodemus was a leader in the highest ecclesiastical court. He's what the Lord was referring to in in Psalm 39 and verse 5 when he talked about man at his best state. Man at his best state. Man uh, striving to be good apart from God. Striving to know apart from God striving to live this life in the energy of the flesh. Um, This is uh, a description of the situation with Nicodemus. When it came to associations in religion, he was associating with the best. I'm talking about everybody in the nation of Israel look to these men for leadership and for teaching. And this is the case in denominational churches. They're trusting that what they're hearing out of that pulpit is uh, something they can trust with their eternal soul. But I'm here to tell you that a lot of these churches are not speaking according to this word. And there's a lot of churches round about where there's no light in them. No light. None. And the people that are sitting there hearing every day are sitting in darkness, just like Nicodemus. A man in the dark when it came to the truth. This leads me to another thing that I think is very important. And that is, as Paul encouraged us to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Know you not your own selves. Prove your own selves how that Christ Jesus is in you, except you be reprobate. One of the most important things in the world is is examining yourself. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to church and I've heard a preacher in the pulpit tell the congregation, I got saved at such and such a time, and I have never doubted not once. I can tell you the day, I can tell you the very hour, I can describe to you the situation, and I have never doubted whether or not I was saved beyond that time. I knew it. I have studied the Bible for 50 years, and I can tell you that that has not been my experience. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat in agony, wondering if I was really saved, because of an inner experience and an inner world that, No one else ever knew existed, but I did. And I did not understand Romans chapter 7. I didn't understand that the old man, the old nature, cannot be converted. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that I cannot change myself from my natural state Any more than an Ethiopian can change his skin or a leopard his spots. I didn't used to understand that. But by studying the Bible and studying passages like that in Jeremiah, I learned that God cannot change from his nature, and I learned that I cannot change from mine. I cannot. And that's why it's impossible to be saved by works. There's nothing we can do to be converted into what is going to be pleasing to God. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I didn't used to understand these things, but what happened to me, and I'm just giving you my personal testimony, The Lord gradually brought me back to the scriptures and taught me Himself how I could know that I was genuinely saved. Now, let me tell you how it is. And it's what this chapter is all about. Folks, it's not about going to church, it's not about going to church. It's not about memorizing a bunch of verses and being able to explain to people even what you think it means. It's not those things. It's not being faithful to go to every meeting. It's not walking down the aisle and taking the preacher's hand. It's not being baptized. There are multitudes of people who have done every one of those things and just as lost as they can be. And are in the very condition that Nicodemus was when he came to the Lord Jesus by night. There's a difference between you judging yourself as to whether you're saved or not, and letting the judge and the Savior himself judge you and tell you whether you're saved or not. And that's what we see right here in this passage. The Bible is written in such a way as to, and I keep saying this, but I want to keep on saying it. The Bible is written to force us to reverse what happened in the Garden of Eden. Well, what happened in the Garden of Eden? Well, Adam and Eve decided that they could do just fine apart from God. They could be religious. They could uh, enjoy the promises of the future as they understood them, according to their will. And Eve believed that she could be as wise as God, knowing good and evil for herself. That resulted in a separation from God. which resulted in death. And so the entire Bible is dedicated to teaching us the folly of humanism, of trying to define truth for ourselves and do for ourselves according to our will. In such a way that we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we need the Lord. And so the scripture is designed to bring us back to the only hope there is in scripture. And that's Jesus Christ. And what we've got in this chapter, and as you read it, we haven't got time to look at all of the things. I'm trying to give you a little insight into what you will find there, and you will. You will find that Nicodemus goes and finds Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ do? He looks at him, and Jesus Christ, who is God, the Savior, said, Nicodemus, you're not saved. Jesus Christ told him that. You're not saved. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. That's just another way of saying, Nicodemus, you're lost. You're absolutely lost. And you'd like to think that everything is okay, but you know that it's not. It's important for us to examine ourselves. To see whether we be in the faith according to this word. And do the same thing that Nicodemus did. You got to go to God personally. You see how this reverses the tragedy of the Garden of Eden? You see how the Lord is is trying to bring us to that point that we turn around. We're converted. We turn around. And we run to him. Seek him early while he may be found. That's what he wants. And then the message of the Bible is us being one with him, receiving his mind as our mind. Let that mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's a world of difference as compared to what Eve was deceived into thinking. In the day you eat thereof, you shall be as wise as God in your own mind the Bible is dedicated to teaching us that our little puny, finite minds know nothing. And if we study our entire life, we'll just be those that are ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so Nicodemus is doing what he should do in view of the preaching of John the Baptist whose entire life's mission was one thing, identifying to the world who God was. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I don't know what your situation is sitting out here in this church. There may be somebody that's been coming to this church for a long time, many years. And secretly, privately, you find yourself worried about whether or not you're actually saved. And when you you think about the signs of the times and the soon coming of Jesus Christ, the truth is the thought that a holy God could show up just scares the daylights out of you. And secretly and privately, you live a life of fear. Well, that can be a good thing if the outworking of that brings about in your life what the Lord brought about and allowed to be brought about in the life of Nicodemus. It's a good thing to be troubled. It's a good thing to examine yourself. It's a good thing to be afraid. And wonder, am I really saved? I want to know, I want to get this resolved because I'm talking about my eternal soul. It's like this little girl said to me today, with tears running down her cheeks. she says, "Mister. Creech, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell. And she'd been thinking about it. Folks, that's precious. She was examining herself, and she discovered something like what Nicodemus discovered. And he went to the Lord by night. Now listen to me carefully on this. We are artists at living on the stage of life. I don't know where I first... Came across this thought, I'm sure that I learned it somewhere from somebody. I don't know who to credit for it. I've read many books, I've studied the Bible, and after a while it just comes together in such a way that I can't even remember how it is that I learned what I do know. But I know this everything that I know, I've learned from somebody. Because by myself, when it comes to relying on my intelligence, I don't have any. None. I have no answers. None. And everything that I know that's good ultimately came out of this book. From God and sometimes his teachers that he raises up and gives the gift to teaching this book in truth. And I've learned many, many things from men like that over the years. But we live on this stage of life in a duplicitous way. Because on the stage of life, we're actually actors that were like Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Sanhedrin. Looked up to by everybody. And on that particular stage, he found some comfort, but not enough. Not enough. Because secretly, off of the stage of life, behind the curtain, where no one else can see what's really going on, he was troubled. And it may be that you're that way right now today. I don't know, tonight, secretly, worried to death, am I really saved? That's not a bad question to ask yourself. That's a good question. And I don't care how many preachers you ever hear tell you, I got saved at such and such a time, and I've never questioned it since. That, to me, is not good. It's not good. I'd rather have a preacher that pushes me into the presence of Christ, who alone, listen to me, who alone is able to tell you whether you're saved. There's not a preacher on the face of the earth that can tell you that you're saved. There's no mother, there's no father, there's no best friend that can tell you that you're saved. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And he's the only one that can look on the heart and know you up one side and down the other. And the truth of your relationship with him, folks, let me tell you something. You can't fool anybody in reality about your actual relationship with the Lord. Lord says, by the fruit shall you know them. But you can't produce the fruit. Without Jesus Christ, listen to this, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It is him that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, what is there in that statement that involved you? Not one thing. Genuine salvation is when you have the life of Christ living in you, both willing and doing of his good pleasure, not yours, his. How many people are there in the world that have that? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I lived 26 years without it. And I can't tell you how many times I've told people that I was saved. But I was lying between my teeth. It was not true. But there came a point where the Lord began to reveal himself in his word. To the law, to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, my word, it's because there's no light in them. Folks, the only one that can tell you that you're saved is the one that told Nicodemus that he was lost. If he could tell Nicodemus he was lost on the stage of life, Nicodemus was in the same predicament as the woman at the well. And he knew all about her up one side and down the other. There was nothing hidden from him. And when that woman finally realized who it was that she was talking to, which is the Messiah, she went into the city and she said, come see a man that told me all that I ever did. He knows us. And there's no way that in the eyes of God you can live a duplicitous life without him knowing about it. Folks, you can live one way on the stage of life where everybody sees you, But I'll tell you what genuine salvation is. It's when you are the same behind the curtain that you are on the stage. And anybody that's in this room that's living a duplicitous life, you better get off in a corner somewhere and begin to examine yourself very carefully. As a matter of fact, like the psalmist David said, I can't remember the psalm right now, the reference, But he said, examine me. His prayer was to ask God to examine him. Because he didn't trust his own self-examination. And I think that's a beautiful statement. I wish I could remember the reference. You can look it up in uh, Esau very easily. Just look up the word examine. You'll see it. In the Psalms. Examine me, O Lord. Judge me, O Lord. That's when honesty begins to show forth. And so we have the stage of life. But we see how the Lord is reversing everything here. And we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus Christ. Isn't that a reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve went out? Of the paradise, out of the garden, away from God. Nicodemus is now turning around. This is called conversion, conversion, and he's coming back to where the Lord wants all of us in His presence with oneness, like you see in marriage. Where the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you're looking to the Lord and you're saying, please don't ever leave me. Please don't ever forsake me. I don't trust my mind anymore. I want that mind to be in me that was in you. And I want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God, not my faith, his faith, and what he promised to do. There's a tremendous difference between human faith and the faith of God. And the only way you can enter into the doctrine of eternal security is to receive the faith that Christ has in himself to do what he said he would do. And he said he would save my soul. And that's the only thing in the world I trust, is him to do what he promised to do and save my soul. In spite of my condition, which I can't do anything about. I can't stop sinning. I can't stop loving the world and the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I deal with these things and battle with these things every day of my life. And I've been saved for 50 years. And I believe you do too. When you're honest, you know that you do. We live struggling with what our, we are in our nature, and the only cure that the Scripture gives us for that condition is what Paul said I die daily. It's putting self to death. You have to die every day to what you are. It's the only way to deal with what you are. You have to die to what you are. You have to enter into the meaning of John's Gospel, chapter 12, and verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, but he that hateth his life in this world the same shall keep it and to life everlasting. Well, do we have reasons that are real to us for us to hate, to despise, to loathe our person? I believe a person that's genuinely saved us. And the Lord says, if you hate your life in this world, the same shall keep it until life everlasting. You can't live in this world loving your life. Because if you love your life, you despise his. And this is what Nicodemus is going to teach. Uh, now this is what the Lord is going to teach Nicodemus. Now, let's look very quickly at verse 5. Verse um, 5. Time goes by so fast, and I want to mention some things here that I believe will be helpful uh, as you study on your own. The Lord tells him in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That water and spirit is speaking of his word, the water of his word. Water is is symbolic of life in the Bible. And even in modern science, we know that this is the key element when it comes to life. Without water, there's no life. And so God uses water as a symbol of life. And he is life. And his word is the water of life. And we need the water of his word. And we need his spirit to enable us to understand it in order to be born again into the family of God. And this is what he's talking about. And then in verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. He's telling him a second time, Nicodemus, you're not saved. And I don't care if you are a Sanhedrin, you're not saved. I want you to look at something right quick. Um, It's a testimony of the Apostle Paul, because he was in exactly the same condition as Nicodemus, who was a Sanhedrin who was a man who knew the Bible up one side and down the other and was lost. Acts chapter 22, reading at verse 1. Men, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew. Born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, or in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was a doctor of the law. He was like a Sanhedrin, no doubt was. He was one of the... Religious leaders, a PhD, what you might say in religion. And Paul is saying, I was brought up at this man's feet. A lot of difference between being brought up at the feet of Gamaliel and Mary, who was brought up at the feet of Jesus Christ. A lot of difference. Gamaliel is just a man with his human understanding of the word of God. And he goes on to say, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, As also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom also I have received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it goes on and on where Paul is talking about his credentials. Before His experience on the road to Damascus, where he met God. And Paul was radically changed and realized that he had been ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is exactly the condition of Nicodemus, ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Because neither of these men, listen to this, had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're not a person, if you're sitting here in this church, if you're a member of Calvary Memorial Church, and you do not passionately get up every day of your life to meet Jesus, with Jesus Christ personally. I doubt that you're saved. I sure do. I sure do. I believe anybody that comes to this church and thinks that coming to church and being faithful at it and reading your chapter every day and doing many, many things... You can do all of those things and be just like the Apostle Paul, lost as you can be, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be genuinely saved. How many people are there in this world and sitting in churches today that have a social relationship with Jesus Christ by going to a church And priding themselves and getting their little star because of perfect attendance, and memorizing their chapter, and going out on a witnessing campaign to knock on doors and do whatever. Listen, you can do every one of those things and be a Judas Iscariot. You can even work miracles. Judas did, and he was lost. You can be in the best church on the face of the earth with Jesus Christ as the pastor and die and lose your soul forever. And that's what Judas Iscariot is a picture of in Scripture. What does it mean to be genuinely saved? I'm going to tell you what it means. It means having a oneness with Christ and nothing less than that. Nothing less than that. He has to be the first love of your life. He's your everything. He's what you think about every day. It's what you love. It's where your hope is founded. This is the anchor of your soul. It's him. And you can't imagine living without him. You can't imagine living without this book. I'm going to tell you, when you understand what you're hearing right now, I'll tell you what, it will radically change your life. And you'll find yourself wanting to get alone with God, to spend time with him. This is what Nicodemus wanted. And that's what he did. Verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He went to Christ. That's what we need to do. But then it tells us in verse 8, and I want you to look at this with me. And if you're accustomed to writing things down in your Bible... There's a couple of things I'd like for you to write down because it'll help you to understand it better. It's rather mysterious when you first read it. Verse 8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So what is he telling us? Well, He's talking about how profoundly ignorant we are. Ignorant of what? Well, think about it. Okay, we're standing outside, and all of a sudden we feel a breeze. Do we know where the wind came from? Which is past. Do we know where the wind is going after we stop feeling it? That's future. What do we know about the past for sure? This is God's way of saying, Nicodemus, you don't know a thing in the world about the past. And you don't know where the wind is going. Future. You don't know a thing in the world about the future. Proverbs 27 in verse 1. The natural man does not know what a day will bring forth. There's no man that knows what the next moment is going to bring forth. We do not know the future. Folks, one of the problems we have in our society today is uh, the fake news and the inaccurate books that young people are studying in schools all over this country where history is being rewritten. They're actually purposefully trying to get rid of true history, so that we all just live in the moment, in the moment. Because to the humanist mind, that's the only reality there is. The past is meaningless because it's the past. What does that have to do with me now? The future hasn't gotten here yet. So why should I be bothered by by thinking about it? The only reality is right now and what I think right now and what I want right now. That's humanism. And that is what is taught in the government schools of America today and in the world. Living for the moment. It's only in the Bible you learn true history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's true history. Because God wrote the book. Nicodemus had never really thought about that. Maybe that you haven't either. I don't know. But the wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but know not whence it cometh, which is the past, where it came from, or whither it goeth. You don't know where it's going. You don't know the future. You don't know anything about the future. What do you know about being saved? Nothing. This is just God's way of teaching Nicodemus. You've been ever learning your whole life. But here you are coming to me, obviously in the dark. You see, light in the Bible is always symbolic of understanding. Darkness is the contrast of that, which is absence of understanding. We even use this in our communications with other people. Oh, I just, the light just came on, and I understood. Or, oh, he's in the dark. He doesn't know what's going on. We use that kind of phraseology in communicating about other people or even ourselves. Well, this is the Lord teaching him that. When Nicodemus is at a total loss, verse 9 Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? I mean, folks, do you realize how offensive that remark would be unless you were prepared to hear it? Because you knew that you didn't know anything. I mean, why else was he coming to the Lord by night? Well, he, he had realized he didn't know anything. What do we know without God? What do we know in our independence away from God? That's why the Bible is written so as to bring us to Christ, to be one with him. And that's what salvation is. And so he goes on to explain to him how far away we are from understanding earthly things or heavenly things. We don't know anything about heaven, and we certainly do not know anything about how to live life. And that's what the Lord is telling him. The only way you'll know how earthly things, that is how to live life, is to read my instruction book and learn to make choices that are right. And I'm the only one that knows what's right. You got to come to me to know how to live when it comes to earthly things. And when it comes to heavenly things, things about God, what do you know about God? You never ascended up. God is invisible. What do you know about him? You know nothing about him but what I've revealed. Without controversy, great is the mystery of God and that God was manifest in the flesh. We beheld his glory, the glory, as the only begotten of the Father, Well, our time is, is really gone. I don't want to keep you any longer other than just mentioning to you that the very next thing that he does is he uh, begins to teach Nicodemus about how he was going to be lifted up on a pole. Like Moses lifted up a brass serpent. When the people had been bitten by venomous snakes, Moses fashioned a a brass serpent and put it up on the pole. And he said, if you will look at that brass serpent, you can live. What was he teaching him? Well, as a master in Israel, he should have known, but he didn't. But that serpent was Jesus Christ who took our sin because we are serpents. We usually think of the serpent as being the devil. But Jesus Christ taught these same Pharisees right here. He taught them that we are of our father the devil And the lust of our father we will do. So what are we then if he's our father? Well, we're little serpents. And Moses was teaching the people, if you will acknowledge what Jesus Christ did for you, he took your sin and became a serpent. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if we will look to that cross and the one that became a serpent in our place, the message of the Bible is he will give us his righteousness as a free gift. A free gift. Nothing you can do for it. The most unexpected thing in the world. But you've got to have it to enter into Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 where the Lord says, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. In his sight. That's how you enter into full assurance of salvation and the doctrine of eternal security, is realizing what you have to be in his sight. Let me tell you what you have to be. You have to be, listen to this, holy. What man can do that? What man can be unblameable in the sight of God? What man can be unreprovable in the sight of a holy God? In the sight of God, no one. Not one. But if God, if you believe God, if you believe the faith that he has in himself, that he can give you his life, he can give you his righteousness, then you can receive it. And you can enter into the most amazing peace and joy you have ever known. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father thank you for these moments to look at this passage. There's so many things here that would be wonderful if we could uh, uh study it more and I pray that we will that we will all of us find that special time alone with you and pray and ask you to help us to understand and see these things to the saving of our souls. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.